Oh, this no. episode. Sorry. What? No, I was gonna do. <laughs> I forgot. I was gonna do a bit where it's like, "Hello and welcome. You're listening to. You must remember this. Uh, Join <laughs> you us. Know, you can, you, will you? You sound nothing like Karina Long. I don't care. <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> you sound absolutely nothing like her. <laughs> I do. I have the soothing could, voice. You could do a passable. You, you do have a soothing voice. A passable Karina Longworth, I think. <laughs> it's the yeah, British version. British uh-huh. version. For some reason, I assumed she was British. But anyway, so okay. Oh, the power couple. The, ult- right. the ultimate power couple. The ultimate power couple. They seem very happy together. <laughs> Anyways, back to the subject at hand. This week, we're discussing Peeping Tom. But first up, some news regarding the Hollywood sphere. Yusuf. Okay, well, the first thing I found was that Godzilla vs. King Kong is bound to stick with theatrical and HBO. HBO Max release. So I, I think this is uh, highlighting a trend where the bigger movies, the movies that are meant to be on a big screen, I guess will still be on a big screen. Because honestly, if you start putting like Wonder Woman and, and all that stuff on a small screen, I think people will catch on to how, <laughs> how stupid. How <laughs> yeah, yeah, without like... No, that's comp- I think that's totally what happened. Yeah, so pretty sure this is what we're, we're gonna keep seeing like in the future and i'm sure the dune thing is gonna happen as well on screen i'm 100 percent sure dunes they're like they're gonna make sure that it sticks into theaters yeah because and probably not even hbo max even if it doesn't i'm pretty sure if they just try the whole like just putting out really big like blockbusters online first mm-hmm. i think in a few years they'll realize it's a really bad idea so i guess this is both a good and bad thing because movie theaters will keep you know getting a slice of the pie but the smaller movies will, will probably not get as many uh, you know theater plays as they did so you know i think they're already catching on that this is a terrible idea because my next story is also related to yours oh okay now what is so the wonder woman movie has done terribly over this weekend it struggles to reach three million i think overall it's made i think 131 million worldwide well our cinemas aren't open so. yeah and that's, that's horrible not. i that the movie probably that problem movie i don't i'm not even sure that breaks even and compared to last year theatrical attendances due to covid19 has dropped by 97 percent mm-hmm. well yeah one of our yeah. the uk's major cinema chains went bust last year oh god and like they it's... all relied on tenant to save them and it didn't <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh and, man they and... really put more than one way, <laughs> that was the yeah. movie that they all bet on. Yeah, in more than one way, that movie uh, did not save anyone. They bet, they bet all their chips on the movie where the protagonist calls himself the protagonist. Then they're like, this is it. Do no wrong. Yeah. So... I wish like he reversed it. I wish he made Tenet and then like Dunkirk. And now he would be revered if he did that. Yeah. Because that was a way better movie. Anyways, it's a good which segue. brings us to our very next segment, uh, Peeping Tom. Michelle, take it away. Well, this was my pick, just yes. so everyone knows. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's a 1960 British psychological horror thriller film directed by Michael Powell, who he's done, I think most famous thing he's done is The Red Shoes. Yeah. Another great film he did is A Matter of Life and Death, which is great. Highly recommend. And is this film was written by Leo Marx, and it stars Carl Boehm, Anna Massey, and Moira Shearer. I mean, 
without mentioning anything about the plot, it's a film about mm-hmm. watching people and watching people in horrific yeah. positions. And then yeah. layers and layers of, of, of um, watching. It's really cool. It's mm. definitely super fascinating in terms of it's about watching, about voyeurism, but also about having people watch themselves yes. being watched, yes. which is thrilling. There's also a, a couple of moments where it seems very obvious that they're, I don't know, but he says stuff like, uh, like, oh, no, 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 like the detectives come in and mm-hmm. uh, and then they're like, the director says, you don't know how much it costs us to like even delay this by a single day. And the yes. detective says, yes. like, we know. I, I didn't know what that meant, but I thought it was hinting as like, oh, we're in on this. We're also working at the audience. People. A lot of, yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about the origins of the term Peeping Tom. Oh, okay. Mm, yes. Do you know anything about it? No. No. So, do you know the story of Lady Godiva? Also, no. Okay. So, it's actually, it's pretty common in the UK that, like, it's a story of this lady and apparently her husband was like the Earl of a specific area. And he was charging really high taxes. So she was like, can we lower it because the people are struggling? And he was like, the only way I'll lower it is if you walk through the town naked on a horse. Oh. So she did. And wow. But he told the whole town that she'd do this for them, but none of them were allowed to look. So the one person who did was Peeping Tom, <laughs> hence where the uh... name came from. And apparently he went blind as soon as he saw her naked body. Oh, the whole thing is not true. Yeah. <laughs> it's a complete... Oh, movie. okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, they really don't think it happened. Yeah. They think that she was just a very charitable lady. And for some reason, this story got elaborated and elaborated to this. Uh... And, like, it's not technically pronounced Godiva, it's Godgiffer, which is, like, oh. Old English. So, yeah, that's the history of Peeping Tom. Hmm. I mean, that's interesting. I feel like it's one of those things, like, that kept getting misconstrued over the years and then mm-hmm. became this weird parable about <laughs> not sneaking a yeah. peek at someone <laughs> when they're trying to help you. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. But I mean, uh, we this have statues mo- of, like, Lady Godiva naked on a horse wow. dotted around the UK. <laughs> wow, and the whole yeah. thing isn't true. So still, it's kind of... That's so fascinating. I think most people do think it's true. Uh, Yeah. Well, the the movie it surprisingly doesn't. I mean, aside from him looking at couples, I guess, and yes. his father filming him, I it, I guess you just like call it that because it kind of conveys the general theme. Of I think it's interesting because it. like you think that he's getting like like the the I think with like oh when you call someone peeping tom, it's like oh he's voyeurism mm-hmm. as like the sense of sexual as like sexual gratification. But for him in this movie, it really isn't. It's like psychological trauma. Yeah, that is but being that molded be into like a, sexual pleasure. That's true. Yeah. Well, Remember with uh, the yes, mother? Yes. I was gonna say. Yes, yeah, so with the mother. Yeah. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> and Freud. Yeah, and Freud. I think there's a, a bit about this. Uh, but this is much more complex, I think. It's much more like this movie genuinely is a lot more complicated than just like what this more like very titillating title suggests. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, he's not. Yeah. Acqu- like, according to Paul Wells, the film deals with the anxieties of British culture in regarding sexual repression, patriarchal obsession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> voyeuristic pleasure and perverse violence the impossible task in the film is the quest to photograph fear itself which is interesting i mean the movie definitely i mean i wouldn't call it impossible he definitely did it right but he doesn't show you ever the uh no he doesn't yeah the films that he uh, you hardly ever see it which is fascinating but no but that that's kind of part of uh that's because of the time right like they can't get a show that much i mean this is the decade of like what's it called bonnie and clyde 
who like broke mm-hmm. the what is it the code the the Hayes code or whatever. yeah that one okay but uh, even if so even if the whole film is like about showing them their own fear and we kind of know like that it, it's kind of become like a regular notion that the that we it's much scarier to not show the audience something than show it to them mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. so that was kind of just an interesting thing that he wouldn't show you the uh, the thing which is the face of fear because I guess technically they're not killing these people and getting the real face of fear which, well, yeah it's I mean, alluding to something that you yeah I don't know if it's impossible to capture or it's very difficult to yeah I mean it would be interesting I guess you could see it in beheading videos or something but that's not interesting <laughs> that's just more of it oh, yeah gross. just head over to live week yeah yeah so maybe not but there's also apparently I mean it says over here there's a relationship with Hitchcock's films themes of voyeurism of course in vertigo yes. but the and movie the also looks very window oh yeah yeah ruined yeah especially I guess that's mm. yeah. <laughs> but I think it's a lot more playful than Hitchcock I think it was darker like, at least in, and like the it's most darker sexual, and, like, and more emotional well yeah this got awful like reception the critics oh, initially completely no way. were like take it away from the cinema don't show this and mm. it was basically wow. forgotten until like Martin Scorsese really like got it re-released mm-hmm. in I think it was the early 2000s and that's wow. kind of where we know it from wow that's fascinating man we have we have, we have to thank Scorsese for so much honestly like not just for saint. his films but he's like he's a saint but yeah. his efforts in like restoring and saving essentially and global cinema. cinema well and global cinema he, like he, he said like, cares he said I have always felt that Peeping Tom and Eight and a Half say everything that can be said about filmmaking about the process of dealing with film the objectivity and subjectivity of it and the confusion between the two eight and a half captures the glamour and enjoyment of filmmaking while peeping tom shows the aggression of it how the camera violates from studying them mm. you could discover everything about people who make films or at least mm. people who express themselves through mm-hmm. films that i i don't know i thought eight and a half wasn't about the enjoyment of filmmaking it definitely mm. <laughs> well that's a discussion for another day i guess but uh, well i think maybe like the way it's just the way he views filmmaking is not like the joy is not like a very like normal sort of joy like i think in terms of the, it's just the act of creation and like mm. the like the how you struggle a lot with yourself internally when you're trying to create something that truly feels yours mm. i feel like kind of like that kind of comes through in this movie at the very least he's like struggled to capture it's like i can't capture the fear like it's not perfect and uh. like when he's looking at the footage and losing his mind and going like no i couldn't get it this time right this time that's definitely something that translates into actual filmmaking or just art cre- creating art in general. I think. Yeah, I and there's I think it's much better than Hitchcock. I think this play pulls more. This this movie has more tricks up its bag than an average Hitchcock movie. I mean, the way it begins really? when it's through the camera. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, if it goes as far. There's that, some but. baller transitions in this movie, like that I haven't seen. Other That's in, your in, argument other than, like, against Hitchcock. Not what? against Hitchcock. <laughs> Doesn't have baller transitions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, what I mean, what I meant was like there's some moments that stick out to me even more than like what than i would like watching like an average hitchcock film mm-hmm. in terms just in terms of like stuff like makes me like <laughs> like like movies 
I did a presentation on Rear Window, mm -hmm. and I basically argued that it was a product of the Cold War. It's full of paranoia and watching people and watching other people, but cool. it's never reflected back as much. Like, with this, there's so many layers that, like, when the first murder, when you're watching her watch herself be murdered, mm -hmm. just so many layers that it's, yeah. it's more personal than just, like, this global fear of your next door neighbor. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but... <laughs> No, yeah. there's... Yeah, I guess with Rear Window, it's just the one way, whereas this kind of explores all the different forms of watching and mm -hmm. how they also yeah. include the person being watched. So mm -hmm. uh, I can't help but obsess over the main guy's acting. It was so good. Yes. Like yes, Mark Lewis uh, is uh, is so creepy and, and so innocent in a way. And so, and so innocent and you likable. <laughs> you, you root for him because you, like, you really want him to succeed in creating the perfect snuff film yeah he's played by Karl Heinz Karl Bohem so his German accent I think played a huge part in like alienating himself from like the rest of these characters the way he talks is like it's really really interesting like he's speaks excellent English but like just this this hint of foreignness into it really just makes makes him stand out from absolutely everybody else who's talking to him because the girl in this speaks like the queen she has like queen's accent I think it's a great juxtaposition that's so true I mean this movie movie was a great pick i think it's it's definitely one of the most like fun movies that that i've seen i like the uh it seems like to be dealing with more than just uh, filmmaking itself or just because I like the stuff with his father with his old tape recordings I like this idea of him this medium of watching of not just the surveillance it comes like record it starts off with recording sound but like now in this new generation like we can record video and that's his like he's kind of carrying on his father's legacy of like trying to like survey and create results because his father did all these experiments on him right these psychological experiments and he's yeah. trying to and he himself is trying to conduct these fear experiments on but these poor women not, who he murders. I don't think they're experiments. I think he's trying to create film mm -hmm. as an art form. He's not, like, ah. doing a psychological experiment. Yes. Which is, like, the difference because it's, like, this perverted fear from his childhood, or, like, mm -hmm. created fear from his childhood is just passed on. It's, like, mm -hmm. a story I love about the artist Francis Bacon. So when he was younger, he, he was very gay and his, like, whenever he was naughty, his father would get the stable boy to whip him which would become like a real kink of his later in life <laughs> and then he ended up having an affair with the uh, stable boy oh my god that's amazing amazing and yeah. it, it's just like his whole life was a series of happy circumstances like his father then as a punishment for all of this sent him to berlin which you know is the capital of like gay <laughs> so he had a blast um it keeps getting but yeah his dad's like no stop <laughs> <laughs> well which is and I think like the psychological like he understands what sort of person he is and I genuinely like there's a scene towards the end when he's speaking to the psych psychiatrist where it seems like he's genuinely trying to like make an attempt to like trying to like he, he keeps pressing the psychologist for like a cure for scopophilia what is scopophilia and the doctor's like oh yeah like years and years of like you know like a therapy will do the trick and and, and then you can see him he, like just give up behind his eyes like 
he's like, oh, screw it. I'm not gonna, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, like, there's no curing me. Like, I'm just gonna, like, I love that. That was so good. Like, he actually makes an attempt, and then once he hears, like, oh, there's almost no chance that he'll be rehabilitated. Rehabilita- yeah. But I can't, so, I can't talk today. No, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so this seems to, the only person who kind of predicted or uh, kind of told him to, uh, to, that he must tell someone about this was the uh, mother, which was, who was blind. Mm-hmm. And just hoping uh, you guys would maybe that's a reference have, to um, the yeah. original peeping Tom. Oh, because she goes, he goes blind. Yeah, I wanted to see why, why you uh, like what, like she sees more than the people who see, mm-hmm. but she, it's because she's blind in a way that <laughs> makes and her she see feels more m- in a way. I well, I think that the audio part comes back in again because when she first meets him, like mm-hmm. she grabs his hand and then his heartbeat, oh, his yeah, that heartbeat so cool. just takes over yeah. the soundtrack. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's how she knows. Because he's like, he shouldn't be like this flustered meeting her. Mm-hmm. He should be this like, And that's how she picks up on it. I thought that was amazing. He's like, oh, yeah, people feel in different ways. And Yeah, which I guess, yeah, it positions like viewing in more yeah. than just seeing. It's like feeling and, yeah. and it incites things. And I guess on a meta way, it's like, it's a, oh, film, cinema is not just a visual medium. It is an auditory one as well. It is all of oh, that yeah, together. It creates yeah. the experience. Yeah. And yeah, the movie really is like, oh, what better way to illustrate that? Yeah, this was great. I mean, also, Millie, the uh, prostitute, he uh, he mm-hmm. takes photos of. That was the, the first scene in British cinema to feature frontal nudity. So, did you think like the actress like knew she was setting like a standard historical standard? But she wasn't that naked, was she? Well, in, she wasn't. No, no it, it was in the shot chase. behind, like when they like, it's kind of weird because she's wearing a gown, and then they, it's a shot, a medium shot from behind her, and she's laying on her back, and then she's like, her chest is up. It, but you could see her breasts and then he he's it's taking just... photos of it so it's kind of weird and, and it happens suddenly like there's she's wearing a gown and then all of a sudden she's not wearing a gown so I didn't I know think... if that was just a mistake or if they that meant something but it's uh, interesting well because her murder was thing that he knew that if he killed her because they were watching yeah. him yeah he knew he would yeah. get caught which I mean he did anyways <laughs> yeah what? but I, I I think that that's because he wanted to yeah yeah, yeah, but did he? he wanted because, to be caught. I mean, he just met this girl, and I you don't really know what his intentions are because it, it's uh. all weird. But I mean, you can give up on the counseling bit, but like you could still keep on going. But unless unless he's having like a moral questioning of like, oh, what I'm doing is actually wrong, but yet mm. then continues doing to go it. and kill her and then mm-hmm. himself. I don't know. I think he realized he can't hurt her. And that the only way he can stop himself from hurting her is to, like, just actually, like... Because they didn't... Uh, he... No, we're talking, we're the... talking about we're the talking prostitute, about the... not the main... Yeah. Oh, not the prostitute. I'm so sorry. No, the main girl who is... Uh, what's her name? But we don't see it. I, I find it interesting that we don't see him kill mm-hmm. kill the prostitute. It just fades out. Yeah, but we don't see the other people. Um, you don't see... Yeah. Yeah, you just see their reaction. Also, that contraption that he shows you at the end is... Ooh, so cool. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> During a reminiscence in David Foster Wallace's novel Infinite Jest, Dr. James O. Incandenza, the man who went on to make a film that literally kills its audience, refers to having still posters from Powell's Peeping Tom in his childhood bedroom. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, and mm. the film is also referenced in Wes Craven's Scream 4. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah. The one with Emma Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> 
R.I.P. Russ Craven, by the way. R.I.P. Okay, well... Oh, uh, and another, the last thing I want to mention is that I really love the scene when the, they're doing the scene, they're shooting a movie within the movie, and it's supposed to be a comedic scene, and it's just, and, it, and you feel the mundane, like, the banality of, like, trying, like, of creating, like, shooting, shooting a movie settle in as you're like, okay, we got actors gonna do this again and again and again, but for Mark, the heat, the tension is rising because you're getting closer and closer and closer to uncovering the body in the blue trunk, because mm-hmm. they keep mentioning the red trunk you're just wondering oh, when they're going to yeah. drop the blue trunk i think that's the most hitchcock scene yeah. oh, that's yeah, the most yeah. hitchcockian scene in the entire movie it's like oh the suspense is there just ratcheting up but it's really funny at the same time yeah <laughs> it's great. and also just randomly he he shoots the reactions of people discovering the uh yes. the scenes yeah. which is essentially what like a filmmaker does when he's mm-hmm. watching the audience watch his movie i always think about there's a scene in amelie where like it's at the beginning where she's just talking about things she likes and one of the things she likes is turning around in the cinema and watching other people's reactions oh wow i do that sometimes yeah. too but yeah mm. that's awesome i i sometimes sit in the back when it's a comedy because i want to see what people are smiling mm. or laughing about mm-hmm. but regrettably that can't happen anymore for <laughs> a bit of time anyways probably take a break just take a break yep. we'll be right back with more fun movie stuff stay tuned <laughs> okay and we're back. Yeah. Now back to our world-renowned segment titled, What Would Roger what Ebert Say? Roger Ebert say? Yeah. <laughs> what did Roger Ebert say? He was alive oh, yeah. during oh, this time. I already was. screwed it up. <laughs> I already screwed it up. He said, the movies in general, not this one, makes us into voyeurs. We sit in the dark watching other people's lives. It is the bargain the cinema strikes with us, although most films are too well-behaved to mention it. So he uh, highlighted what Michelle said, basically, that this movie crossed mm-hmm. the line for some reason and was loathed on its release and pulled from the theater and ended the career of one of Britain's greatest directors. And yeah. his theory is that it didn't allow the audience to lurk anonymously in the dark and implicated the audience along with the characters. So that's why he thinks people really, really but dislike this. didn't Psycho come out a year or two after this? I think Psycho came out the same year, 1960, right? Was it? I think so. I think it's like some uh, very... Like, yeah, it's 1960. That, that one's taking the stance of the victim. I mean, it's like, I don't know, Lolita didn't get the good rap because that was a similar time because that's in the stance of the villain, yeah. his perspective. Yeah, but and this just... is a bit more explicit in its uh, in its point of view, right? Lolita's very explicit. No, I mean, uh, uh, the comparison with Psycho. Oh, right, yeah, Psycho. Yeah, but I guess, yeah, 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 you're right. Lolita does. Yes, people give more a pass to pedophilia than murder. <laughs> what? I mean, that. Lolita was banned upon release. Oh, really? And, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and then there was like a rush to get it when it was unbanned. <laughs> it's probably it's, it's probably part well, of your marketing scheme. Yeah, you want something in the mm-hmm. hands of people, tell them they can't have it. Mm-hmm. Go out, find out why. But um, okay, so Roger Ebert continues to dissect the movie and diagnoses Mark that uh, that the areas of sex, pain, fear, and filmmaking are connected, and he identifies with his camera so much that when Helen kisses him, he responds by kissing the lens of the camera which yeah to me mm-hmm. i i was i was surprised at that i didn't know what was going on why did he kiss the camera then i thought it was like to ease it's like a, for a filter for an emotion maybe mm-hmm. well not a filter like a, like a, a tunnel yeah mm-hmm. something. it's just his way know. of channeling his because his i guess he doesn't really he can't really express himself romantically in like a traditional way because he's so right psychologically like broken and that was like the only way he could do it without being violent i suppose yeah so yeah roger but also goes on to talk about how the 
Powell loves rich color, which I mean, yeah, the movie is yes, so colorful. It. It's crazy yeah. color. He also says there are a lot of baller transitions. Oh, that's no. This one, I, I really wanted. I really want to talk about of camera use. <laughs> There's yeah, one yeah, where, yeah, like, yeah. when he when he <laughs> Wait, first meets, us, when he goes to else? meet like the mom for the first time, that exact scene when she takes his hand and the heartbeat takes over, it cuts from a medium close up to a wide of him meeting the mom, and the way they transition cut to that is that someone someone literally waved a piece of like silk or, or like curtain or something this bright little bright curtain i think it's at the uh wood i'm trying to find the exact minute mark across this across the camera to transition into that wider cut like he used this like cloth this piece of fabric to like swipe across that he swiped across yeah. the frame to like to smooth out the transition and to give it more flair and the only other time i've seen it is in the russian version of war and peace where during this dance sequence they keep switching these black black lace fans across the uh, across the camera to like cut between closer the close-ups and medium no. medium close-ups it's great that's the only other time i remember like seeing something like that i, I thought it was dope i was like wow how creative uh, like you can't you know this is back before we have any like real mm -hmm. editing software so how do you add a little flair make it more interesting like that's you do some pretty practical on camera stuff like that i thought that was dope yeah that was it that was that was like that was the one thing that oh yeah no, no no i mean it is awesome i'm definitely like astounded by the, the creativity involved in this movie opening shot went yeah. through the camera and X and stuff. It's, it's better than the one in Halloween. Feels like, like you know, like when everybody wants to, oh, everybody yeah, wants to talk yeah, about Halloween. That, that's pretty yeah. awesome, though. Is it pretty awesome? awesome, John Carpenter? So yeah. So uh, another really interesting thing about this movie is that Scorsese, uh, as early as this, the 1970s, to, which I didn't know, uh, was sponsoring revivals and restorations, and joined mm. Powell on an audio commentary track of several laser discs. Indeed, Powell and Scorsese's editor Thelma Schoonman fell in love and married mm -hmm. and she assisted him in writing the most re remarkable direct directorial autobiographies a life in movies and million dollar movie oh. so wow. it's kind of interesting his editor got married uh, to the director <laughs> of this movie so m maybe that you're only seeing six a bit years. Of, uh, of him in Scorsese's mm -hmm. movies uh, which is quite interesting because uh, when I was working on a screenplay for this for the animation company in Taipei the producer of mm -hmm. that of that comp of that film in particular knows Thelma Shoemaker because she was there. Guess who edited Silence? Oh, Guess who edited wow. Silence and has some, someone has to be there to like be her assistant. Uh, so or and, and, and like to, not her not even her assistant just like help her like because they edit on spot right they did the dailies and everything. So uh, her like they they had the editor on set like also editing as well at the oh, same time oh. when you're shooting the daily so like somebody has to like be there and take care of her that was it's really cool I actually yeah. like what's the Kevin degree Kevin Bacon degree of separation oh, I'm not gonna, that's not going to do that <laughs> yeah 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 seven, seven degrees, degrees of, of Kevin Bacon yeah, something like something that Aline like calculated it that we're seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it's called uh, from uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, by virtue of that <laughs> professor we met uh, the the guy with the the cyber yeah yeah with Tobias's thing, thing. You know that? yeah yeah that guy yeah and how he knows Marvin Mitsky and Marvin Mitsky was uh, friends with Jeffrey Epstein <gasps> ah so, interesting interesting <laughs> maybe he'll take you on a trip to his island someday <laughs> oh no he's not he's dead I forgot no, he killed himself he's dead or is he is he we don't, we don't know. know we don't know like Roger Ebert maybe if he's sure. still who anyway. knows he's still writing those Roger Ebert reviews on RogerEbert.com <laughs> anyways let's move on to our final segment what would be uh, if you would recast this movie and remake it in 2021 who would you choose what would be your mm -hmm. what would be your uh, star list interesting I'm gonna go with Gyllenhaal as uh, Nightcrawler Gyllenhaal the skinny weird version I'm gonna go with him as Mark I'm gonna go with 
uh, Carrie Mulligan as Helen, mm. Meryl Streep as the mother. No, no, no. Uh, Diane Wheat as the mother. Diane. Right? No. Diane Weist. What's her Keaton? name? No, no, no. Anyways, <laughs> okay. And shopkeeper is Paul Giamatti. Very good. Actress is the uh, Amber Heard. <laughs> wow, that's a Stand-in is I don't know. Stand-in has to be. Oh, by the way, the stand-in scene with the dancing yeah. was amazing. I I that really awesome. loved that. Yeah. Stand-in has to be someone with an interesting face. Okay, that one could be cast by some new yes, face. Yes, that be a newcomer so. who shows up to get murdered. <laughs> yeah, and then she'll become a big star on her own afterwards. And the director and the psychiatrist would be played by Army Hammer in different makeup. Very good. So, Army yeah. Hammer. Yeah. So, so people are like, "Why do you do that?" And I'll be like, yeah, "I don't know." So yeah. All right. Orvin or Michelle, who's next? Michelle, do you want to go? No. Okay, so I'm gonna cast Tom Holland as Peeping Tom. The pe- did you hear the Peeping Tom? I, Tom yes, Holland. He looks like a kid, and I think that will work. You can you can use his boyish. He can he can leverage his boyish good looks for uh, for maximum mm-hmm. creepy impact and i think he's always been, looks like he always seemed like kind of creep to me so i think he, he did a good job here <laughs> not, to, not to chastise on tom holland but for the girl mm-hmm. carrie mulligan is an excellent choice i was actually thinking about her and i was like oh okay I know, because yeah, right. like I like, I really like the look of the girl in this in, in in this one because she doesn't look like a Hollywood actress. She looks like just this normal girl, who, like you might actually know. There's something you don't really see in like in movies these days. I think pl- we have used Florence Pugh way too many times for her to to really have impact. Who would I pick? Tom Holland, and I will pick Michelle. Do you know who plays like the youngest daughter in Little Women? Do you know who I'm talking about? No, yes, yes, dead. the one who dies. Um, I like. I want her. I want her to remember her name. name. She's Australian, She's but I. Want her to play the girl because if I want them to be young, oh, this will be like a younger remake. Mm-hmm. And because she also like like doesn't look like a traditional Hollywood actress, which is something I want to go for for the other. But which is to contrast the real things because I want I want him uh, I want Scarlett Johansson as one of the as one of the actresses he fucking murders because I think that would be really fun. And I want the other one to be what's a cameo because these will be I'll treat them all as like fun cameos. Be murdered. I want the older actress to be Olivia Wilde to be murdered. But a dancer, I want I want I want the Asian girl from that sequ- dancing from that second dance number from La La Land. <laughs> oh no! I want the for I want the uh, Japanese robot. She's also the Japanese robot in Ex Machina. There we go. That's what I want for the dancer. That's, that's that's as much as I got so far. And that would be my new trendy remake in the vein of maybe a Nicholas Winding Refn movie. Yeah, that'll be more entertaining. How about you, Michelle? Michelle I'm just doing the three main okay. people. Oh yeah, yeah I want DiCaprio oh, as the main dude because he dies and everything. <laughs> and also, I think <laughs> that's the reason. Well, yeah, but also there's a thing that in Hollywood they, if you want them to be a demon of a character, they have to look like non-human or not like your average actress or like like in the witch in the most recent witches film, they just completely make fun of people with like I forget the condition is where your hands are mm-hmm. they're not formed like the five fingers and they they're like showing the feet like a bad person is associated with a disability and it's very problematic and mm-hmm. I don't want to contribute. So he can just be, you know, like Edward Cullen, beautiful, but like enticing. Ah, I like that. And then I want Olivia Coleman as the older, She's the perfect, mother. Yes. And who's Helen? Yeah, who's yeah. Helen? Who's gonna be Helen? Yes, Rebel Wilson. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> oh my god! I can't. Can you imagine That's Leo DiCaprio so sharing the screen? With her? <laughs> 
Yo, maybe he'd be that really, that would be so good. I will watch that because it's about time the Capital Stars has like has a romantic interest and just looks nothing like it's one of his traditional romantic interests. I think that would be awesome. Oh, I mean, I'm more for like mm. diverse casting. Diverse bodies, bodies, exactly. Diverse and, Oh, I, I forgot my, my casting for the mother would be character actress Jackie Weaver. Who's good in every single thing I've seen her in? Who, who you can't never, I haven't seen the mother yet. I haven't. I did. I forgot to say. The, I, yeah, you didn't say. Well, come on. You spend twenty. I didn't minutes. know. I, I didn't know she was Australian. Oh my god! Awesome. Wonderful. So yeah, it will work. That's my last minute. I will watch a DiCaprio Rebel Wilson led Peeping Tom. Yeah. Like, I think awesome. it's. I haven't seen DiCaprio play like a really recl- like inward kind of guy. I've, I don't think he's ever played something. Some, I haven't seen him play a role like that in a while. Maybe since like maybe The Revenant, but are, but then The Revenant is the less said about that, the better, I suppose. I don't think that was the movie he should have won the Oscar for. <laughs> it's really weird. He should have won for Wolf of Wall Street or like The Aviator. I genuinely think he should have won it for The Aviator. He was so good in that. Mm-hmm. Well, aside from aside that, from that, aside from <laughs> that, aside from uh, happy. Recommend our uh, let's yes, know, let's do, do the recommendations. recommendations. Oh, should we do our ratings first? Oh, right, right, okay, yeah. Michelle, you go first. This is out of 10. Right? Yes, so when I first watched it like four years ago, I gave it an eight and mm-hmm. I stick with the eight. Oh, I'm gonna give it an 8.5. There's a lot more like uh, there's a lot. You I can't, can't have a point five uh, in the 10 system. Oh. All right, give it a nine. I really liked yeah. it. I'm gonna give it a nine as well. Yeah, I, this I think, yes, every spot I like, yes, yes, <laughs> and it's. And I love how it's like it's not too long. It's it, it knows like it, it's it's a t- it's so tight. It's one hundred and one minutes. It was and for a movie made in nineteen sixty, it feels very very modern and makes a lot of slashers these days look very tame, like just very trite in comparison. Because you're like, oh, all these tropes have been nailed and done even better back in like almost already fifty years. Yeah. Like what? Not even how long has it been since nineteen sixty? Forty, fifty, sixty yeah. years. I mean, like the scene where he's on top watching the detectives yeah. work and then the Fall. It's Ooh. been 60, 60 years. years since 1960. I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th- that that was amazing. I mean, that was one of those things where you you mm-hmm. clear like I've seen this in movies now. And yes, don't and the idea they, well. and the way they tackle like the meta narrative of, of this is a movie, also that's kind of about making movies. It's it's so well done, and it mm. does it without being pretentious about it. There's, yeah. It's light, and it's, it's actually I wouldn't class almost wouldn't classify as a horror film because it's really funny at a lot of parts. I find a lot of the dialogue. Very charming and funny it's very quick it's a very quick-witted yeah, yeah, movie oh and the darkness just comes from like you know the genuine like the psychological trauma that he's facing i wish this guy was in more english movies i i, I don't think i've seen him in anything else yeah. i mean this might be the the case of like anthony perkins mm-hmm. who's like this role was too good like uh, mm-hmm. the psycho role yeah it just kind of took his entire life so, yeah Joker, you yeah. can't or a mark hamill situation mark hamill famous for being the joker That's <laughs> yes what we're talking yes about, right? among many other yeah. characters he yeah sh- did you know he- i don't know he didn't show up in the mandalorian but like he'd bring his character back in the mandalorian it was so dumb the cavalry people Isn't no 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 but it's a pretty the mandalorian takes place between um the the the, the new seat the new seat the trilogy and the old trilogy right it's just it's so it's done uh, never, it's they'll milk it for what all it always had well, that, that concludes, concludes- Star Wars talk. (laughs) Okay, recommendations. Michelle, uh, you should start. I'm pretty sure you have one locked and loaded, right? Yeah, I mean, I already said it, but I'm just going to say it again. A Matter of Life and Death is one of his earlier films. Also called Uh, Stairway to Heaven. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) I'm on his Wikipedia.
Wikipedia. <laughs> Yusuf, do you have it? No, Arvin, you go ahead. Uh, I've only seen, I believe, I, I guess, I've only seen the first one, not the entirely second one, but Creep, the 2014 found footage, not, not mm. found footage film, directed by Patrick Bryce, starring Mark Duplass. It's like, it's a movie with only two guys in the, like, the entire movie is just consists of two guys, one the cameraman and one the creep. And in ter- if you, I felt a lot of, uh, it, the, the, it straddles the line that Peeping Tom does between the very, like, absurd, comedic absurd and the very, and the terrifying reality of being stuck in a room with a very dangerous man and it owns it's it's, it's so good <laughs> and the second i only watched half the second film i never got to finish it but from what i remember it was also pretty good yeah so that would be my recommendation okay well i'm gonna recommend blow up 1966 michelangelo antonio movie i um, love that film yeah yeah i mean it's uh, it's definitely uh, an awesome movie it's very similar vibes but in a completely mm-hmm. different way oh yeah totally like the photography mm-hmm. uh, the model and stuff yeah. like that yeah I think that's a that's a movie everyone should watch mm-hmm. I agree alright okay. well and next week we'll be discussing the movie Out of the Past so looking forward to it watch that yeah because I I've decided to pick mm-hmm. this one because I definitely will not watch it <laughs> <laughs> if, if we don't do it <laughs> it's been sitting here like for, uh, for right. months now and I want to get to it. Excellent. All right. Okay. And that concludes Whoa. our latest episode. Thank you all for listening. And I ho- we hope you stay safe and have yourselves a wonderful week. Yeah. And uh, re- reel you next reel time. Reel you next time. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's that's going to be our tag, tag from now. Or uh, subject to change <laughs> in revisions. But... <laughs> keep it. Keep it real. Keep it real. Yes. That yes. That's right. great. Okay. Keep it real, dudes. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the seventh reel is hosted by Yusuf Elbashir, Michelle Hassel, and Arvin Kwan. Logo created by Sho Conti, and theme song composed by Yehia Elbashir. Thanks for listening.